I used to travel for a living. I would go places. And each time I went somewhere, I felt like it was weird that I didn't know anybody. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but if you've traveled and you go to the same places and run into the same people, you find out frequently that the pool or the world is smaller than it seems. In this particular case, that's tonight's topic. We're talking about how is it that it seems like the world is so small when it's massive and there are just scads of people everywhere that we should feel a sense of community or connectedness with the people around us. We'll start with a story about when, uh, for me, because again, hi, it's, it's me. This is a story about finding out that I knew somebody in a lot of places. I'm a social butterfly, and so I flit from place to place chatting with folks. I used to be uh, in school for art, and I was quite sociable, and I'd get around and I'd chat with folks, and one of the requirements was going to art openings at the beginning of every month so that you could see other artists experience their work and talk to them to get exposure. Come to find out over time that these folks, some of these folks, years and years later, you run into them in the oddest of places. Now, it's not surprising to run into someone at an art opening that you haven't seen in a few years, because if you both used to frequent that, uh, those events, then it makes sense you could find one another. However, the odd thing is seeing a person who was your professor's teacher and to me, it was amazing. I ran into them in a place thousands of miles away from home. So I was in Belgium, Holsbeek, Belgium, to be precise, staying at a little uh, travel location called the Formula One Hotel. Apparently in Europe years ago, as I was, it was told to me, I haven't done any fact checking on this, but essentially... Euro Disney was expensive. Folks could usually either afford Euro Disney or the hotel stay, but not necessarily both. So a low-cost chain of hotels was developed called Formula One, and apparently the Formula One distinct thing was a red railing that ran as kind of a theme throughout the rooms and throughout the hotel. Inside the rooms were very bare bones. They were basically bunk beds and a tiny little sink that fit in the corner. And the bathrooms were shared per floor. And this neat light would go on when you leave the bathroom to say it was spraying it down with disinfectant so the next person could go in. So it was kind of this weird little airlock style situation. You leave the bathroom, you close the door, the light goes from one color to the other, and when it changes back to green, the next person could go in, feeling somehow more secure and safe that it had been sanitized. One of the other unique things about the Formula One hotel and in all of its budgetness was... Yes, that's a word I just made up, budgetness. Enjoy. The fact you could pay a very low rate as you came to stay the night, 
And the next morning, they would offer a little kind of uh, croissant and uh, a, you know, a cup of coffee or they had hot water for tea. And the humor was that they used coffee carafes for all the beverages. So even though there were a couple of hot plates out for the, the coffee and the hot water for tea, they also used a coffee carafe for orange juice. And so people would hilariously put the orange juice on the hot burner. Way to go, people. And so the, the, the water is sitting out on the countertop, burning a hole through it because it's been on a hot plate all morning and the orange juice is now getting well heated up neat. Anyway, I'm on my way down the stairs and uh, my traveling buddy for the technician's role that I was performing at the time is coming up the other way, said, someone's looking forward to meeting you. And I thought, well, that's odd. We're in Belgium. We came from Texas. The only person I'm expecting to have any interest in talking to me is either my traveling buddy, the company, or the company we're here to work for. And I go downstairs and run into my professor's professor and get to hear some very interesting little tales about what it was like when he was a student. And that was mind-blowing. Here we are, so far away, what are the odds? Maybe that should be the title of this episode, What Are the Odds? Maybe that's a better and more fitting approach. So, what are the odds of running into your professor's professor? Pretty slim. And yet it happens all the time. We run into people, especially if we frequent things like conferences. And that's actually another part of the story, because I started going to conferences in 2012. A friend had to drag me, and I was wondering where this has been in my life for a long time thereafter. That's a funny thing, though. What on earth are conferences for? So, to me, a conference is the opportunity to get yourself to see something you wouldn't normally see or experience at home. That's one thing. Because normally you're focused on your job, you're focused on training for some new facet of work or some personal pursuit. But what about you? What about your growth? What about your ability to connect to a community of people and grow? It sounds wonderful on the surface, or maybe it sounds exhausting to you. Everybody's perspective is their own. What I'm getting at is, look at the way we have the opportunity as computer security professionals or whatever you are to go out and find like-minded people and share ideas. I say like-minded for only from the point of view that we all have something to share, not necessarily that we agree with one another. <laughs> Perish that thought. The reality is everyone has their own opinion, or if you have one person, you have three opinions. Now, Going to some kind of conferences, it's almost like you can be practicing for larger events. I am fond of suggesting that conferences are like mini Hogwarts or uh, specialty castles that get set up and move from place to place, because it's like a mini escape from your world where you can be amongst other people who kind of see things in a not-so-dissimilar way, 
and you all have shenanigan times together, whether it's uh, singing karaoke in a very dangerous way uh, late at night, whether it's playing games together or late night discussions or playing chess at random or playing a card game because you found a random pickup game in what they call lobby con. All of the spaces that you can run into people who share some form of common interest. This is what it means to go to a conference. Now, if the thought of more than two people in a room leaves you with a feeling of dread, this is probably going to be a very challenging experience. If, however, you are of a mind that says, go forth, I'm willing to take the risk, there's plenty to learn and grow on especially because the people who are there commonly are excited to share what they've learned. So, it's worthwhile, usually, to explore the interconnectedness of things or become connected yourself. What are the odds that a presentation that you get to see during one of these conferences could inform you in such a way, maybe not the primary topic either, by the way, in at least two or three of the talks I attended the first year I was going to conferences, there was the strangest thing where I would listen to a peripheral factoid or something would jump out during that presentation that I'd take a note on. And then I'd go back and I'd go look up something. And as it would happen, I'd have an opportunity later to go out and go shake the hand or wave and say thanks or truly make someone uncomfortable by going up to them and giving them a hug. You should probably check before you do anything uh, when it comes to uh, reaching out to touch put people. Just a thought. I went out to a conference during one of the presentations. I had an opportunity to meet people I've never met before. No big deal. Something new. That's awesome. However, when you start to put together enough of the presentations that it begins to form a picture, or at least help you to visualize how certain exploits might work, how certain other elements might be possible, certain ways of doing things might make sense to you, and the fact that you now have a passing familiarity with these people, that you can go up and actually ask them a question because you feel like there's an opportunity. Because a conference is really a starting point to me. It's an opportunity to hear an idea that you yourself might not have had the opportunity to see, right? But also, now you have the opportunity to correlate that with another presentation, maybe the same day or the next day, by a different person with a very similar topic. And the best part is those people being near one another might actually partner up and start a new thing of their own altogether. What does that really mean? It means that a, the opportunities are seemingly boundless because going to a conference opens the door to collaborating in a way that can't normally happen if someone is, say, from the other side of the planet and you are from right here. And maybe that thing that you have a passion for that you think, well, I'm not sure how it applies. Maybe it turns out to be someone else's passion too. And you start a new project. See, it's not that you can't collaborate over the internet. Of course you can. 
That's what the Internet's there for, among other things. But this is something different, because now we're talking about really doing something. I used to poke at a buddy or two of mine because they'd spend all this time on their video games, and at the end of the day, they basically played Stat Builder, right? They would go out, spend hours and hours, so that they could do a little better in their chosen RPG profession. It's called taking a break, and, and I learned the value of that separately. But usually, my point was that if I was sitting around my, my place, and I was learning how to add on features to my little rescued Linux box uh, that someone else had thrown away, and I figured out how to add the ability to, to scan for Wi-Fi signals, or perhaps, I don't know, get the basics set up for a web service, or who knows what. The point was, I leveled more. I leveled myself. I, I did more than level a tune. I was bringing forth my own knowledge and understanding so that I could do more. Hopefully do better. Better at what is a separate question, but the idea is, is that if you have a presentation or an idea you would like to share with the community, chances are there are people who would be willing to listen to you. I would encourage you to ask the, well, what are the odds, question to yourself. And start by taking that presentation idea to a local hacker group or meetup and try it out there. First try it in front of the mirror at home, maybe, but then go and try your hand at doing it in front of people. And if that works out, each time you do it, you're going to get more confident in what it is that you're presenting on. You can take that and now take it and submit it as a CFP or a call for paper at a conference. I would suggest just throwing it out there, try a local conference, whether it's a security B-sides, regionally speaking, or some other regional conference, or perhaps an OWASP event, some kind of event to challenge yourself to present it there. Because if you think of it like a regional, one way to think of it is that a regional conference is almost like the minor leagues. There's nothing in the world wrong with it. It's great fun. It's good sharing. It's good learning. But if you'd like to try and take it further, because P.S., conferences can be expensive, very expensive. So one way you can defray the cost is by presenting. That way, you're not only trying to, or you're not also trying to pay for the room, the airfare, the food, and access to the con you might find that certain cons are willing to support uh, either, at least you're not paying to get in, in many cases. Not all cons, your mileage may vary. Always double-check the website or the organizers to see what the rules are. The point is, the more you volunteer at events, the more events you will have access to. The trick is to find a niche and see if you can be good at it and if you're willing to afford it and put up with it. But you get out there and you can learn a great deal. Be willing to listen, be willing to participate and help, and you can go very, very far. I like to believe I'm kind of living proof of that. I showed up carrying a box. Years later, I'm now in some kind of position of helping people. 
What does that really mean? It means that I find it rewarding to give back. I find it rewarding to help. I don't have the technical prowess of a lot of people. I've got skills in my areas, no doubt, no question. But there are definitely far, far more intelligent and wise people doing greater things than I. So, do I really think this podcast is giving back? Eh, it's a start. It's something. I do what I can, just like everyone else. And if you're not doing something, feel encouraged. Feel encouraged to try and do something differently. Because the only one you're competing with is yourself. The only one you should be competing with is yourself. Anything else is a form of measurement. And why are we worried about what the person next to us is doing? Unless we feel the need for the competitive spirit, and that's your business. Circle back around, and I found that the interconnectedness of things meant that if I'm going from conference to conference, and I can see a group of people, I eventually start to form relationships with these people, which is wonderful. Because now I don't feel so alone in the world. Now, maybe that's not your goal, but it's something to consider. It's kind of nice to have people around who kind of get you. It's really nice if they can actually help you grow. Even better because they encourage it and look for opportunities to help too. That's the other thing that conferences provide. It's a platform for sharing, a basis for connecting with people, a place to share ideas and learn and also to grow. And what are you growing into? That's part of your own question to answer. Because at the end of every day, if you're only competing against yourself, what are you competing for? In self-improvement? Some kind of top level of the hierarchy of Maslow's uh, needs there as self-actualization? Whatever it is. What if it was growing into a position because you want a career that allows you to help mitigate risk? Well, realize that interconnectedness of things has a cycle to it. The cycle can be very frustrating. In several conversations, you come to listen to presentations. Well, excuse me. In several conversations and from several separate presentations... It came clear to me that those who do penetration testing, sometimes year over year, visit the same clients, finding the exact same vulnerabilities, left unpatched or uncorrected, unaddressed. And if they are forced to write the report with the same language, just with a slightly different tone, it can be very disheartening. I've heard from quite a few folks who find it frustrating that, hey, I went to your site this year, I came back two years later, and I find the same vulnerability. But your job is to report it, not to fix it. So while you have the benefit of moving from place to place and not getting stuck with fixing all the problems, only pointing them out, and now I know that's a gross generalization, so please pardon that. But the bottom line is you'd like to see progress in yourself, in, in your clients, in your peers, because it's boring and not very valuable to stay exactly the same. 
What does this really mean? Well, the cycle can get you. It can get you in the way of leaving you frustrated, and frustration leads to burnout and bad decision-making, and bad decisions sometimes are harder to come back from, depending on the decision and the level of impact and who you set it to, and if they're your boss, or whatever the variation there is. So what are we actually trying to achieve? We're trying to achieve a sense of interconnectedness with a purpose. Because if you can go from place to place, you can discover amazing things if you pay attention long enough. To me, one of the strangest case-in-point situations was the interconnectedness of the music that I was listening to and my brother was listening to. Rewind. Forget the year, but when I was younger, my brother was a big fan of a band. I had to listen to this album that he was going crazy about in the early 80s. He went on and on about it, and it was amazing, and this and that, and I couldn't get away from it, and it really irritated me because he just kept pushing this album. Flash forward three or four years, the late 80s, and I'm finding there's a band that I'm really getting into. And I was kind of enjoying it. A year later, I find a different band. The only common thread randomly was that it seemed they were all from the UK, but I didn't think anything of it. Flash forward to last week, and I come to find out as I was reminiscing about the bands I enjoyed from the 80s, that I really appreciated a certain kind of level of production those albums had. I discovered that it was programmatic, the music. There was a certain thread that ran through it. And come to learn, the musicians were the same. No, wait, that's not quite right. So, I was a fan of the art of noise. I am a fan of the art of noise, which is basically a couple of specific people, one of which is a guy who programmed a device called a Fairlight CMI, or Computer Music Instrument. His name, as far as I can pronounce it, is J.J. Jesselsick. Turns out, he invented a song called Beatbox after he was working with drum samples from Alan White of the band Yes, while working on a production called 90125. Hold on, that album that I was rammed down my earlobes when I was younger that I couldn't stand, I later fell in love with. It was just because I had to hear it all the time that I had an issue with it. It turns out that that entire album was programmed and helped to be produced by Trevor Horn and his buddy, J.J. Jesselsick, using the Fairlight CMI. This translates to, if there hadn't been a 90125, there might never have been an art of noise. So, the interconnectedness of things, then, if Trevor Horn hadn't helped revive, yes, and produce 90125 with the help of J.J. Jesselsick, there wouldn't have been an art of noise, a beatbox, or any of the rest of that, or a huge hit called Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, which was a small band that, approached by Trevor Horn to get produced, had a song called Relax. And it turns out, when they actually went to record the single, 
the only thing they kept was the lead singer, and a session band was brought in to cover the rest of the band. That's right, the actual super mega hit that they had invested so much studio time in, so much money had been spent attempting to figure out a way to make this thing sound right or sound good, that Trevor Horn realized his fledgling music label had to produce this thing as a hit. So he literally had to figure out a way to sell Relax and Frankie Goes to Hollywood in order to get his money back out of his investment. And who's right by his side, producing the heck out of it, creating the sound that became a mega hit? J.J. Jesselsick and his Fairlight CMI. Now, this is a really long way around trying to explain that all of this is connected, but when I'm looking back 30 years and realizing, oh my gosh, the three things that we were all, that I was interested in and my brother was interested in, were all connected at this tiny thread of the same person? That's mind-blowing to me, because it's, it's proof that you can find interest in, in a common thread. So what does this tell me but to look deeper? When you find a piece of software or an approach to something that makes sense, sometimes it's worth digging even deeper. And it may not even be, that is, the information might not even be available yet. But that means you have to dig even harder and reach out to try and make a connection, which again leads right back to, hey, you know what? If I go to conferences, I can meet the people writing this stuff and I can see them present on it and I can learn from them directly and maybe even forge a friendship or partnership or at least a sense of camaraderie, or buy them a cup of coffee and say thanks. All of which comes back together to suggest that as long as we're willing to be connected, we can work on finding out the rest of it. What are the odds that a thought or an idea you had could lead to something more? It's a question we have to ask ourselves each and every day. I find myself living it even now. So let it, let it be a lesson. That if you have an idea and you want to take it somewhere and you want to try to carry it forward, consider making a presentation and sharing it with the mirror first. Then share it with your local meetup group. Then try again and submit it to local conferences. By the way, don't be discouraged if your first couple of submissions don't get picked up. Try again. Try other regional or local conferences or meetups. Find a smaller venue to try it in, and each time you tell it, it probably gets a little better. It also helps to ask for help from friends, to review the slides, and to work on timing. It's not easy being a presenter. It takes a lot of work but it can be of great value to you and your community of friends, users, developers, co-workers. The more you give, generally speaking, the more you get back. Well, that's not true. There are no guarantees. But it certainly feels better than doing nothing. At least to me. Now, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. 
and I appreciate your feedback if you have an opportunity. You can find me on Twitter and Reddit as Sciatic Nerd. That's right, Sciatic Nerd. I appreciate if you'd be willing to reach out, give me a thought or two on the podcast. Please keep it civil. I'll try to do my best to respond. If you have any questions or comments, that's how you find me. Otherwise, thanks so much and have a good night.